With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome to a new episode of Land Grant in Conversation. My name is Matt Tamanini. On this podcast, we talk to people in and around Ohio State athletics and the sporting world at large to bring you different insight and perspective to the teams, athletes, and university that you love. On today's episode, I'm in conversation with the Ohio State beat writer for The Athletic, Cameron Teague Robinson. In our conversation, we get into what Cameron has seen from the Buckeyes over the first three weeks of the season, how he thinks they are preparing to face off against Notre Dame on Saturday, and what the single most important thing that he believes that OSU has to do in order to beat the Irish this weekend. Now, before we get into that conversation, if you are finding this episode on LandGrantHolyLand.com, please make sure that you subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so that you can get all of the unique, varied perspectives that you will only hear from the Land Grant Podcast Network. We are bringing you one, two, sometimes three podcasts a day to make sure that you have all of the news, insight, and conversation that you need to be the most informed Buckeye fan you possibly can be. Also, if you get a chance, please leave us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. It would mean a lot to us. We are trying to build our ratings back up after they took a little bit of a dive a few years ago when we had different hosts and a much different focus with our podcasts. So if you like what you hear from us, we would really appreciate the support. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Cameron Teague Robinson. The team seemed to have a bit of a different vibe this weekend, and it started at the Skull Session when Ryan Day told the crowd at St. John that the team was ready to step up to the next level. And then after the game, he talked about there being a different level of intensity and an attention to detail at practice. I, I know that you don't get to go to, to practices and watch all of that stuff, but talking to guys midweek and being at the press conferences, do you think that this is a product of the team finally figuring some stuff out or was there something lacking in the first two weeks where it just wasn't clicking on all cylinders like you would expect an Ohio state football team to be at coming into a season. 
Uh, I, I just think it's hard for a team to be hitting in all cylinders when you're trying to work in two quarterbacks. You're trying to figure out what's going on with the offensive line. The coaching staff is still getting adjusted to the new clock rules. Like, I, I think there's just a lot they had going on that was like really difficult for them to just be like, okay, let's click, let's turn, let's flip a switch and let's be Ohio State. Like, you just can't do that in college football. I mean, you saw Georgia struggling in South Carolina. You saw Alabama struggling in South Florida. Like, teams are too good now. You can't just flip a switch like that. So, I think they named Kyle quarterback last Tuesday, um, and they had a different, um, I guess, a sense of urgency that's like, okay, Notre Dame's coming. We have to get this right. Um, and I, I think that's what they did. I, I thought they played really well on Saturday. Uh, I think it was a matter of them finally getting a chance to put some things to bed in terms of, like, the uncertainty of lineups and things of that nature and then really focus in on, like, okay, this is who we want to be on offense. Yeah, and I feel like in that probably the middle of the second quarter, it felt like they did kind of settle into a rhythm as to what worked best for Kyle McCord. I felt like through the first two games and even the first quarter and a half, and even though that was a little wonky, it still felt like they weren't exactly sure what to do to kind of get him into the best possible situations to succeed. It still felt a little bit like the C.J. Stroud playbook, but to me it felt like watching on TV – that they started to use quicker passes, got rid of the ball a little bit more quickly than they had in the first couple of games to then set up deeper shots and and the running game rather than going the other way around. As they have now had a full game of Kyle McCord being the full unquestioned starter, do you think that they know the best way to, to deploy whatever his strengths are heading into what will certainly be the most difficult game probably in the first half of their season? Yeah. Yeah. And I think, first of all, I think Kyle has, I mean, you watch him on film, he has elite arm talent. Like mm-hmm. I really think he does. Like he misses throws. I think everybody misses throws, but like he, I mean, he fits ball some in some places that you just don't think they should be. He's accurate. Um, it's just when his feet are set and he's in the pocket and he's comfortable, he's really, really good. I think that's why you're seeing them try to get the ball out of his hands quicker because the offensive line isn't where, like there's no Paris Johnson, there's no Dewan Jones, there's no Luke Whipler. Like you have a, when CJ was there, you knew what CJ was, you knew what the offensive line was, you, so you could take some more chances. I don't think they 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 you can't take those chances right now. So you have to get the ball out of his hands, get it in Marvin's head, get it in Mecca's hands, and let them make plays. And I think that's what you're seeing. I mean, they're targeting those two like crazy the last two games, um, and Kyle's playing a lot better with it. I, I think one thing that he's doing a lot better job of than he did against Indiana is is reading coverages and looking to the second level a little bit more. I think against Indiana, it was very, it was very cookie cutter. Like they were like, okay, this is your read. This is your second read, throw it. And don't, don't look past that. You know, I think they just wanted to be very basic. I think they're opening up a little bit for him. Uh, not completely, but you starting to see him make reads downfield uh, more than just the, the, the out hook curl routes that he threw against Indiana. Yeah. I mean, and I think if he, Remember back to 2021 in C.J. Stroud's first year as a starting quarterback, it wasn't until his third game as a starter where he started to look like we could at least picture what he would become. Of course, it was a little different because he sat out what was his third game and Kyle actually started that one. So while I think we kind of got spoiled over the last year plus of C.J. Stroud and how elite not only his arm strength was, but his decision making. There were certainly a lot of people uh, who were questioning his ability to be the starting quarterback in Ohio State. And I think we have to kind of remember that there is a growth process for quarterbacks. And I think your 
point about the fact that the offensive line is much different now than it was last year goes a long way. I, I know in your film study that you published at The Athletic following Saturday's game, you talked about the fact that at least on the on the right side of the offensive line, things seem to be getting a little bit more comfortable now that Josh Fryer is firmly entrenched as the tackle over on that side. That side of the line seems to be coming into its own. We'll get to the left side, but what did you see on the right side that makes you think, okay, at least this part of the line is looking like you need it to look when you're facing a team like Notre Dame this weekend? Yeah, I think it's a communication thing for those for those guys, especially Josh and Matt. I, I like Josh, the, the thing we have to remember is that Josh Fire spent all of the winter, all of the spring, and probably most of the summer at left tackle. And it's not like, I think for a guy like Josh, who played right tackle last year, it's not so much about like, does he have the skill to keep switching back and forth? I think he has that. We've seen that. It's the, you have to understand communication with Matt Jones and communication with Donovan Jackson, no matter how good those two are at guard, it's going to be different. Um, so I, I think they had to un- kind of get a couple of games under their belt. I, I think I saw it mainly in the run game for Josh was that like, he was passing off blocks better. He was getting a second level better. I, I thought the on Chip's 40-yard touchdown, man, he he drove somebody from the hash marks really outside the numbers. I, I thought it was a fantastic block for him. So he he's starting to show off his athleticism, his strength. Um, so I that's that's a huge deal. I you you can't have two bad tackles. <laughs> and Josh Fryer is definitely um coming along well. I, I think Josh Simmons is too. Um, he just, I think there's still some things he, he needs to t- tune up and fix, but Josh Fryer for, for sure. I think that right side of the line is, is getting a, a lot better. And obviously, like we said, adjusting to new communication partners on the left side of the line for Josh Simmons will take a while. He's also dealing with taking a step up in competition. So presumably if he can get there, um, it's still going to take a little bit while. And of course there's no guarantee that he's actually going to get to that level, but I think everybody at Ohio state assumes that he will get there eventually. But looking at what this offense does well, looking to get the ball in the wide receiver's hands, establish Travion Henderson, and then to a lesser degree, perhaps Chip Traynham uh, in the running game, how do you work around half of your line, especially on the blind side of your line, not being 100% where you need it to be and still trying to maximize all of the incredible firepower that you have in terms of weapons on the offensive side? Yeah, well, that's that's a good that's a good. Good problem. I guess I won't say problem, but it's a good thing that Ohio State is so versatile and so can be so creative. I mean, you talk about the weapons they have a receiver. They're probably four deep there in terms of Xavier, Mecca, um, Marv, Jul- uh, yeah, Julian, and then even Carnell. So maybe five. They have three tight ends. You have three running backs really you trust so that could have starter reps. The the thing you can do is you can chip people on the left side of the line if you need to. You can put Kate over there and run them on a route and chip somebody's defensive end. You can just throw another tight end over there, um, especially when you're running heavy sets. If you if you really feel like the left side of your line's down, you could run G and Joe Royer on the left and Kate on the right, and then that really dictates like people don't know if you're running left, right, or up the middle. There, there's a lot. That's the one thing I really like about Ryan Day and, and Brian Hartland. What they have right now is a lot of a lot of versatility on their players so they can be pretty flexible. I mean, they 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 can do a lot of things to help whatever side of the line they feel like isn't playing great at that moment. You mentioned Kate Silver and he's had 
you know, inarguably a really hot start in terms of catching the ball. He's almost up to 200 yards in three games and for an Ohio State tight end. I mean, that might as well be a thousand yards in a lot of seasons uh, comparatively. But it seems like over the last year or so, we've seen him kind of miss a lot of blocks, which is not something that you normally expect from any tight end at this level, but especially at Ohio State where pass catchers in general are expected to block. Has there been a little bit of a trade-off in your mind between the blocking side of Cade's game and the receiving side of Cade's game where when the pass catching side has kind of taken a step forward, the blocking side has come back? He missed a couple really crucial blocks at times on Saturday. And while obviously it didn't really matter when you're playing Western Kentucky, it could matter against, you know, Notre, Notre Dame, Dame uh, Wisconsin, Penn state, Michigan, and so on. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I agree. I think he has missed some at the end of the year last year. I think it was more of a product of him being banged up. I, I think and Justin Fry mentioned this on Tuesday. I, I think this year, like I just think there's just a cohesion factor that's just been missing up front i mean when you go heavy and you're not converting third and one and third and twos it's just i mean kate 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 was a block g was a block the off the line might miss a block i mean um chip might miss a block playing fullback it, i think it's just it's a cohesion thing up front um i think they were a little bit better but like you said i think kate missed a few I, I i don't think it's a matter of him being like okay i want to be a better receiver i just think he's just something's off with the um execution whether that maybe that maybe he missed that block or maybe he's reading something else and the tackle next to him was supposed to take something you know what i mean so yeah, off yeah. the line is off the line is just so complicated that like unless you played off the line off the line it's really hard to know the intricacies of what everybody's supposed to do um so i, I it, it's tough he has missed some blocks i do wonder sometimes if it's just a matter of miscommunication between him, him and a tackle or um him and a running back or or, or something like that it's interesting because the, the the tight ends have been one of those things where everybody comes into an Ohio State football season and says, this is the year that Ohio State is finally going to be uh, using to, uh, to use the tight ends as a weapon. And it never seems to happen. But yet, the coaches always talk about how much faith that they have in these tight ends, not only to block, but to catch passes. Not only, obviously, do you have Kate Silver, you mentioned G. Scott, you've got Joe Royer. Is it just that there's too many mouths to feed that it's impossible to get some of these other guys besides Cade into that passing game more yeah. more often? Is that just all it is, especially when Ryan Day is constantly talking about the lack of of plays with the new clock rules? Yeah, it's hard. I mean, you 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 have to get Marvin the ball so many times, right? You have to have to get him a set number of targets. You have to get a Mecca a set number of targets. You have to give Travion the ball a certain amount of times. Then you got to get Cade going. I mean, that's four right there. And I didn't even mention Julian Fleming and, yeah. and Chip. Um, I thought G, the Indiana game was interesting because G would seem like he was a little bit more involved in the passing game then than he was in the last two games. So I wonder if they'll go back to that um, because I think they're pretty versatile if they can put two of them out there at the same time. But um, it, it's tough. I mean, I mean, like you said, Ryan Day has complained about lack of plays a lot. Um, they got a decent amount of plays against on Saturday against West Kentucky, but it's a lot of mouths to feed out there. Uh, a lot of guys who really deserve the ball. So um, I, I wouldn't want it like it's hard. I wouldn't want to be a coach on that staff trying to desert, trying to figure out who can get the ball how many times because there's it's just there's so much talent on this offense that I think it's hard to say okay let's take two targets away from Marvin and give him give one to G and one to Joe. You know what I mean? It, it's it's tough sometimes. 
one more person who has not gotten the ball as much as I thought that he would coming into the season, and I think that probably has to do with an injury suffered during fall camp, is Mayan Williams. We've seen him sprinkled in throughout the first two games, but he didn't really, I think, even come onto the field until the late third quarter, maybe even fourth quarter of the game on Saturday. Right. What is the prognosis on him? I know he was dealing with an injury in camp, and he, but he played in the first two weeks. Is he still kind of coming back to try to get to 100%? And obviously, they didn't need him to go a, a ton of carries on Saturday. So is it just giving him time to kind of get recuperated before the stretch run of the season? Or is there something else going on with him that we aren't seeing? Yeah, it's hard to tell. Um, I, I mean, I think he's still coming back, but also how do you justify sitting Chip? Yeah. You know, I, I mean, Chip's been the surprise of the season. I mean, he was really good in the spring. He was really good in the fall. I didn't think he'd come onto the seat onto the field and be this good that, uh, this season so fast. So it, I think, right, honestly, I really feel like Chip has jumped him right now. His term is the guy who gets the second most car- the second carry uh, behind Travion, but that could change. I mean, we all know Mayan. I think Mayan is one of the more dangerous after contact runners in college football. Uh, he breaks tackles at a high rate. Um, it's really hard to bring him down. So they're going to need him and they're going to use him a lot this year. But when you're, you have a guy like Chip, who's just, who's being explosive and, and physical, um, it, it's tough, tough to get rid of him. I, I like the package of Mayan and running back and Chip at fullback. I, so you're, you're not, they're not going to get rid of yeah. Mayan. Um, but I just think Chip has just stepped up a little yeah, more. And right you mentioned now. earlier the versatility of of offensive weapons is a big thing that the high state coaching staff likes to to focus on. And Chip can do just about a little bit of everything. Not only can he play tailback, he can play fullback. He can even split out as an H back and a tight end at times. So having the flexibility of him being able to do a bunch of different things obviously helps the offense in a lot of ways as well. But last question on the offense before I move over to the defense real quick. I don't know that anybody coming into the season thought this offense is going to be as explosive as we saw under CJ Stroud or even Justin Fields, just because Kyle McCord isn't those guys and he's a first year starter. So it's, it's tough to match up to those guys, especially in their second years. But now that they've kind of started to get some things figured out, whether that's in terms of getting the ball out quickly to deal with offensive line issues or settling into a rotation as to who the running backs would be. What is the ceiling for this offense, specifically in comparison to maybe what it was last year in C.J. Stroud's second season as a starter compared to Kyle's first here in 2023? I think it's slightly below. I mean, it's probably closer to what C.J. was, C.J.'s offense was his first year. I, I think Kyle has it. Like, I, I don't look at him on the field and think, eh, maybe they should go play Devin. You know, I, I watched, watched him all fall, all, all spring all fall when we got a chance to go out to practice, I was like, he's going to be the starter. I just, he just has it. He has the arm talent. He's, he has the attitude. He's calm. He's nothing really get flustered a lot. Like I think he has it. So if the off of the line gives him time and they continue to gel, like this could be an explosive offense. It can also be an extremely efficient offense. Like you saw against Western, they had an eight play 75 yard drive to start. Then they had 12 plays, 80 yards, a third drive. And then they went one and one, you know, the next two drives. So like, it, it's a good mix for both of them. I, now, this offense is going to rely heavily on Travion Henderson uh, and and the running backs to set the tone, and then use them to uh, open up things for for um, Kyle and and Marvin and Mecca. Uh, and I think even you'll see them use like I mean they ran a Marvin Harrison jet sweep. Yeah. Like I've never never thought that they'd yeah. run that. Yeah, you know, yeah. so they have so much that they could do. Um, but I think 
there's too many weapons on this offense. And Kyle isn't the type of quarterback who is um, going to go out of his way to make a play that's going to really hurt the offense. You know what I'm saying? Like, I think he's the, he's a, he's a safe quarterback. So with all these weapons that he just needs them to, to deliver the ball. And I think he can do that. So I think they can be a extremely efficient offense um, that bust for, for big plays because they just have a ton of playmakers. Yeah. And I, and I, you know, at least in my opinion, I want to, don't want to speak for you, but even if they are a step behind where the offense was last year, I think that the gap there is more than compensated for by the improvement on the defensive side of the ball. And we've seen it through three games. And again, you know, adjusting for competition levels, but they've given up 20 points in three games, which is uh, yeah. not something that I think would have happened even against the same competition level last season. Uh, I want to get to the defensive line because I think that's where a lot of people are still looking for some improvement uh, there, even though I think it was you know, markedly better on Saturday than it had been in the first two games. But when you look at especially the secondary, we knew that that was going to be a focus under Jim Knowles. He prides himself on on not only secondary play, but specifically safety play. But when you start from the back of this defense, it seems like guys have kind of settled into roles finally. It seems like now that Josh Proctor is healthy, he's going to be the guy. And I think he played pretty well on Saturday. Obviously, Sonny Styles seems to be a, a starter there. He didn't play necessarily as much Saturday because of the way that Western Kentucky's offense is. We saw a little bit more of Jordan Hancock in the slot. And then obviously the 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 corners have been spectacular on both sides, especially highlighted by Denzel Burke. As you look at the secondary as a whole compared to last season, where has that change been? Has it been, obviously health is a big deal there. Uh, obviously the second year in the system is a big deal. But as you watch, what has been the difference between a secondary that had a lot of holes in it last year and gave up big plays to one this year that looks to be as solid as we've seen in the past five, six, seven years at Ohio state. Yeah, I think it's a, it's a lot, it's a lot of things, honestly, folded into one. I think you can't understate how important it is just being back in this defense for the second year. I think the return of Josh Proctor was huge. Um, he's just an experienced guy who though, I don't think played great last year just brings a different level of um, just just a bet, another veteran presence. You can have Josh and Lathan, two guys who really know this defense, two guys who have played a lot of football back there. That's huge, especially when you have a guy like Sonny, who's just like an athletic freak, but he's still he's still young. Like he's still – he should be a freshman this year, you know? So yeah. um, that's big. And I, the corners, I don't even know. It just feels like a whole different group, honestly. And it's a lot of the same guys other than Davison, but – Denzel just seems like he, I mean, he was really, really banged up last year. And I, I'm working on a story on him for hopefully this week. I don't think a lot of people know all the stuff that he had to go through last year um, and it, and to just to, to stay on the field. But he was really banged up. I thought he played really well the back half of the year last season. So I thought he could have this type of year. I, I think the surprise for me is Jordan Hancock. Now that he's healthy, he's been really good outside of that PI on, on Saturday. Um, but I think Davis and Ignosin has brought a different attitude to this group. Uh, he's so physical. He 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 loves talking trash. Like he he is a really really competitive guy. And I think when he came in, like you you bring him in, you lose J.K. Johnson, and I think they upgraded there because he just took that room to another level of competitiveness. Like they go into practice and they are just they are pushing Marvin and pushing Emeka and pushing Julian and and all those guys. So. Um, that, that all, you do that all spring, all summer, it's going to lead to different, a different group on the field. So it helps that they're back, they're back in the same defense. So they kind of know some of the busts they had last year. 
Um, but also um, there's just a lot of more experienced guys who heard all offseason how bad they've been. So they came in this offseason with a chip on their shoulder. Moving to the defensive line, you wrote about this in your film study. And I'm looking at PFF's grades, which you can take PFF's grades uh, or leave them. But just going off of what they had, they had Jack Sawyer at seven QB pressures, JT Tui Malowau at six, which, you know, obviously yeah. you want to get hits on the quarterback. You want to get sacks. But looking at this defense, especially against offenses that have so far through the season have wanted to get rid of the ball very quickly, or in the case of Indiana, not throw the ball at all, are sacks as important as maybe they were? Yeah, I, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I in the Joey Bosa and Chase Young era, it's a different era of football. It is, it is, and I hate it. And I just, I hate the idea that like people think that because this defensive a defensive end doesn't get a sack that he's not a good defensive end. And that's not the case. I mean, you could watch JT last year and so many times he got held, and you you can't tell me that his his move off the ball wasn't elite. You know, so um, I, I there's more to it. I, and I watched the Western game again on Sunday, and I thought Austin Reed looked scared after really after he um, nearly threw that pick to Josh Proctor on fourth down. He he started looking like, okay, these guys are getting pressure. Even though I'm getting the ball out quick, these guys are hitting me, and I need to back up and back up and back up and back up. And what that does is, although you're not getting a sack, the further he backs up, the more time your corners and your safeties have to break on the ball. So it, there's so much more to a defensive line than sacks. There was another play where I thought Kenyatta and, Kate and um, Jack Sawyer – Really got a lot of pressure off the edge, made Austin Reed step up, and he stepped up right into Tyreek Williams' hands. So that's a, that's a sack. Like I thought they played as well as they could have against a quarterback that gets rid of the ball in two and a half seconds. You know, like you're just not going to sack him very often. He's, I mean, you, I would like to look back at the end of the year and look back and see how many times he's he's been sacked this year. I guarantee, I I would guarantee it'd be close to the bottom of the, yeah. in the country. Like he's not going to get sacked. So I thought they did a great job. I think they'll have a chance to get some sacks on Sam Hartman this weekend. Um, but I think, I mean, for their first real test against a team that's going to pass, I thought they did a great job. They, they made him uncomfortable in the pocket, made him move around, um, kind of threw off his timing with some throws. I mean, I thought that wheel route to Corley is a touchdown if JT doesn't get there and pressure him. Cause as good as Josh Proch has been, he's not staying step to step with Malachi Corley for it on a wheel route. Um, so I, I thought that, I thought they were really good. I, I, I understand everyone's concern and I'd love to see them get some sacks too. Um, because it sets the offense back, but pressures pressures can really change the game yeah. as well. Um, obviously, again, I know you're not at practices, and you're also not privileged to sitting in on defensive uh, meetings with the coaches and everything. But one thing that has seemed, at least watching press conferences and, and maybe reading between the lines more than we should, it seems to be, and I don't want to use the word feud because I think that's overstating it, but at least a difference of schematic opinion between how defensive coordinator Jim Knowles and defensive line coach Larry Johnson would like to run things on the defensive line. We know that Jim Knowles would probably prefer to have a three-man front and use the jack and however you want to classify that. Larry has always just gone with a very standard four-man front. How much Larry rotates is different than probably Jim would prefer. Which guys are in there would probably be uh, different than what Jim would prefer. Have you kind of seen those two guys coming at the defensive line where there's tons of talent? We know that the talent is there. 
with different philosophies. And it seems to me that they they're not outright saying it, but it seems like there's a little bit of a butting of heads in terms of the philosophy there. Am I reading too much into that? Or or do you think that there's something there that just isn't clicking between those two a year and a half into the, the tenure working together? I'm not sure about their specific relationship, but I'll say I think Jim this offseason had did a self-evaluation and looked himself in the mirror and said, what I do, what I want to do all the time is not going to work here at Ohio State all the time. And if that makes sense. Yeah. I, I think he he understood that he had to get some guys on the field that maybe he didn't want. He like I think he just realized, okay, Sonny Styles has to play. And I think he realized that towards the end of the year. That's why you saw him in the Peach Bowl. But um I think he realized like Hey, we're gonna have to be more versatile. Okay, we may have to play three corners instead of instead of three safeties. You know, if if Jordan Hancock's better than Cam Martinez, which he is miles ahead mm-hmm. of Cam Martinez, then it's time to move Cam Martinez to the bench and put Jordan Hancock in. You know, I and I think that's why you haven't seen the Jack as much. We put a lot of emphasis on it this fall, well, this this spring and this summer. I can tell you, I feel like every time Jim Knowles went to the podium, somebody asked him about the Jack. I, I, but you had you really didn't see it till the second half against West Kentucky when they put in all the um, second stringers. So. Um, I I think it's you're seeing Jim. This is still Jim Knowles' defense, and it's still Jim Knowles' philosophy. But he's slightly adjusting to what Ohio State has been and is really really good at. You don't take JT and Jack off the field to put Mitchell Melton on the field. You just don't do that. So, uh, and, and that's no that's nothing against Mitchell Melton, but Jack and JT are NFL guys, you know. So, um, it's I think he's changing his philosophy a little bit more. And maybe that's because him and Larry had a talk. But I, I think Jim, after the way the season ended the last after those last two games, I think he realized, OK, I have to change the things. I have to change the things about me and my defense that fits more to what Ohio State does and what Ohio State has been. Yeah, that ma- that ma- that makes sense. And hopefully the collaboration continues uh, to be as fruitful as humanly possible for the rest of this season. Um, but I'll get you out on this question, obviously heading to South Bend this weekend. If Ohio State is to win this game on Saturday, what is the one thing that you think they have to do against a Notre Dame team who has looked great all season, admittedly not played much of anybody at this point, but neither has Ohio State. But what's the one thing that they have to make sure happens for them to be successful and to stay undefeated four games into the season? I think you got to protect Kyle McCord. You just got to protect him. I, I, I've, so I used to cover Louisville. Um, for about, covered Louisville for about three or four years. And I was there for Sam Hartman's time at Wake Forest. Loved him. I, I thought he was great quarterback for that offense. Um, their RPO system with Dave Clawson was tremendous because Sam was really smart, got the ball out fast, can move around a little bit. If Ohio State protects Kyle McCord, I still think Kyle McCord is more talented of the two quarterbacks. Now, that's, does he does that mean he's a better quarterback right now? No. I think Sam is playing miles ahead of Kyle right now, but – if Ohio State, I, like I think the thing Notre Dame fans think or and people in Notre Dame's camp think is that like we have a quarterback now where like last year they had to play in a way where they, they couldn't really move the ball. They didn't have a quarterback. They didn't know what they were doing. This year they feel like, OK, we have a quarterback. We can this is our chance to really beat Ohio State. We can play how we want to play and not um, put, be at the mercy of like saying, OK, we don't have a quarterback. We need to change the things. Now they feel like they can just kind of sling it and and be more open on offense. So if that's what they think their advantage is, if I think if Ohio State is able to protect Kyle McCord, it evens that out. And that's the thing for me. If he's in a safe pocket, you're not going to protect him all game long. They're going to get to him, obviously. But if more often than not, he's in a good pocket, the offensive line is playing well, 
I think Kyle's going to have a chance to, to really, really have a pretty big day. Um, so that's a big thing for me. you got to protect Kyle, let him be able to make some reads and get, and get the ball in the hands of the playmakers. You're an objective journalist. I am not. So I will say that I hope that happens. And uh, all of Buckeye Nation can celebrate that on Saturday night. But uh, Cameron, thank you so much for, for talking about this. I, I really appreciate your insight. Love everything that you're doing over at The Athletic and uh, looking forward to reading more and, and enjoying the rest of this college football season. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to this episode of Land Grant In Conversation. Also, thank you, of course, to Cameron Teague Robinson. I will have links in the show notes for where you can follow him on social media and read his work at The Athletic. Again, if you found this episode on our website, don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere that you get your daily dose of audio goodness. And if you wouldn't mind, leave us a five-star rating and review. You can follow me on social media at BWWMatt. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at LandGrantPods. You can follow the site at LandGrant33. Thanks again for listening. We'll talk to you soon. And as always, go Bucks.